Wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! It may be because he's Swiss, I don't know, in terms of European style. I can take you to Suplex City tonight, bitch. Can you say the alphabet backwards? Walk and whip your ass backwards. You're not funny and nobody likes you. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. And we're back, folks, right here on WrestleRant Radio for July 5th, 2016. I'm Graham Giusa Matthews. Happy Independence Day to all my American listeners out there. We celebrated the 4th of July just yesterday. And for the first time in three years, I actually got the day off from work. Just happened to be. I worked on Saturday, Sunday, or rather Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Or no, just Saturday, Sunday this past week. Um, but not 4th of July for the first time in three years, which was pretty cool. I was able to watch Raw Live. Pretty good show, in my opinion. Not a great show. Not a great show. I will say, not not a good show, but rather an enjoyable show. And I'll get into just why that was in a little bit. But uh, really, not much else going on. I mean, the past week, we've had some other news and notes that I'll talk about momentarily. And then Raw last night. But no pay-per-views. Nothing really monumental happening for the most part, by and large. Kind of a quiet holiday weekend, which was a nice, refreshing change of pace. But by that, I mean this will not probably be an hour-long show here today. I mean, I know I say that all the time, so we'll have to wait and see. But um, there really was not a lot going on this past week in the world of wrestling. Just a nice, quiet week, nice, enjoyable episode of Raw on Monday. And, I mean, all the excitement is soon to come. We got Ultimate Lucha tomorrow. I might do Ultimate Lucha predictions here on the show. Probably won't because they don't have the list of matches in front of me. And I don't want to look them up just because to avoid spoilers and shit. But we do have Ultima Lucha kicking off tomorrow for Lucha Underground. Speaking of which, cheap plug here, I did write an article on Monday during my time off on 4th of July. That's what I spend my holidays doing, just writing and whatever. But um, I wrote an article for NextAirWrestling.net, this very website, listing my top 10 favorite slash best matches of Lucha Underground from Season 2. So I did that and also my top 5 favorite 4th of July matches in the 8 years I've been a wrestling fan. Because wrestling has often been associated with holiday for me. Falling on a Monday five years ago as well uh, for Monday Night Raw. Falling on a Thursday, Friday, Sunday, Saturday. I mean, we had the Beast in the East back in 2015 on 4th of July. We had Raw five years ago. We had Impact Wrestling back in 2013. SmackDown in 2014. So uh, wrestling has often gone hand-in-hand with the holiday for me. So I decided to write a brief little article for the website right here, nextairwrestling.net, listing my top five favorite 4th of July matches and not only WWE, but including TNA as well. And the eight years that I've been a wrestling fan, so be sure to check that out too. Um, but yeah, I hung out with John last Friday at his place. We played some SmackDown vs. Raw, General Manager Mode 2007, which we'll talk about more in a second. We did that. We did some uh, fantasy drafting, which I we talked about on Twitter back over the weekend on Friday. But I was struggling to think of, and it was good that we didn't hang out like on a Tuesday or on a Wednesday or hashtag SGSM day, just because... I mean, it would have been cool to film hashtag SGSM with John, but there really was not much going on. Like, I was struggling to, you know, come up and get John's different take, or John's take on different things going on right now. I mean, I saw him a month ago, but there really not much else going on this week anyway. Like I said, all the excitement is soon to come with Ultima Lucha kicking off tomorrow as I record this on Wednesday, July 6th. We have the Cruiserweight Classic preview show tonight, or rather tomorrow night after NXT. And then the Cruiserweight Classic show kicks off officially next week after NXT, which is pretty great. That same night, we got Nakamura versus Balor in NXT. We have UFC 200 this upcoming Saturday, which we'll talk about soon enough as well. And then also we have, obviously, Battleground, the WWE Draft, SmackDown going live. Uh, So a lot of cool things going on right now in the world of wrestling in the weeks to come. Just not much going on right now, right this second, so this might be a more condensed version of WrestleRant Radio than usual, but I just thought I'd throw that out there. Speaking of what, speaking of WrestleRant Radio, the show going forward, as I said, either last week or the week before or whatever, WrestleRant Radio is officially moving to Thursday nights starting July 21st, the same week that we have, you know, the week before Battleground, the week of the WWE Draft, the week that SmackDown goes live, and as I've said before, I just feel like it makes more sense. If I continue to record the show on Tuesdays, especially during the summer, when I know we record like early on during the day in the afternoon whatever like during the school year it's a bit harder but uh more often than not i do record the show in the afternoon so it just makes no sense to me to record the show after raw and then before smackdown and then continue to promote it throughout the week after smackdown has already happened especially now that smackdown will have its own unique roster it's going to be a lot more relevant and meaningful than it has been in years 
it makes a lot more sense to me to begin recording the show later on in the week so I can talk about Raw, SmackDown, and NXT, kind of the whole shebang. And like I've said before, I might split it up in talking about Raw for 20 minutes, SmackDown for 20 minutes, NXT for 20 minutes, because I don't really like the idea of extending the show. I might when I have to. And we've done that before. We've we've made the show longer when necessary. I know for like the WrestleMania roundtables, we make the show two hours, two and a half hours. And then sometimes when I have RJ on or a guest on, we make the show an hour 15 or an hour 30. Depends on what we're talking about. But when it's just me, I like keeping the show to an hour. I feel like that's keeping my my thoughts and ideas condensed and my reviews of stuff kind of brief and short. But when we have a, you know, a jam-packed week when something monumental happens or we have a pay-per-view or something along those lines. Like I'm sure the first episode we do on that Thursday night on uh, on that Thursday of July 21st will be a much longer episode than usual because we will have Raw, the draft, slash SmackDown, and Battleground predictions. So it's going to be a stack show. But uh, just keep that in mind. The show will be moving to Thursday starting July 21st in just a little over two weeks away. So speaking of which, before we get into Raw from last night, the special 4th of July episode, there are a few things I do want to talk about. We'll talk about Brock Lesnar's SummerSlam opponent to that to be revealed uh, this upcoming Thursday on SmackDown. I'll give my rumors and my, my ideas and thoughts and speculation on that soon enough, as well as UFC 200 this upcoming Saturday. But in the meantime, Jerry Lawler's suspension has been lifted. He was suspended about a month ago, three or four weeks ago, I think it was at this point. It feels like an eternity ago, but it was only a few weeks ago that he was suspended by WWE after the whole domestic abuse uh, situation with his girlfriend who is only 26, 27, and he's like 66, 67. It's kind of gross in my opinion, but it is what it is. Uh, so he was suspended after he was arrested. He was put on bail. He got out. But uh, all the charges were cleared. That doesn't necessarily mean he's in. You know, he's he's innocent. He could have very well done what she had. You know, had uh, claimed that he did, and she just agreed to drop drop the charges. So that doesn't really mean anything in terms of him being, and uh, him in terms of him being cleared or innocent or whatever. It just means that without the charges, he's free to come back. WWE said on their website they have a whole article up talking about that Jerry Lawler is free to come back. The suspension is up, and he could very well be back tonight at the SmackDown taping. So I guess we'll have to see. It would not surprise me in the slightest. And it's not like, oh, great, Jerry Lawler is back. And I've never really been a huge fan of Jerry Lawler's commentary. But like I said before, and I forgot to talk about this when the news broke that he was being suspended, you know, um, a few, like last month or whatever it was. It just completely slipped my mind because it happened earlier on in the week. And I think it happened over the weekend. I just forgot about it with all the, you know, I think the Money in the Bank pay-per-view had happened that same week and I just completely, totally forgot about it. But at any rate, um, I have no issue with Jerry Lawler and commentary. I know that's kind of like weird to say in 2016, but I think he has really come a long way as a commentator in 2016 alone. On SmackDown, if you're not watching SmackDown, you should be. I mean, even before the brand split goes into effect, the show has been a lot better. Um, I mean, I talked all about that on WWEC Radio with Tom over the course of the school year, dating back to January, how much SmackDown, how rejuvenated it has felt um, on Thursday nights on USA Network and with Mar Ronaldo calling the action. The show just feels a lot more lively and energetic and entertaining than it was even a year or so ago. And I think a large part of that is due to not only Mar Ronaldo, but you got to give props to Jerry Lawler too. Jerry Lawler has really refreshed, has really, really felt rejuvenated and refreshed as a commentator since going heel, so to speak. I mean, he's kind of played the heel commentators to Mar Ronaldo's straightforward call of the action. And I mean, Byron Saxon really does nothing for me. He doesn't take away from the action for me. He's just kind of there. I would much rather have a Corey Graves or a Byron, or not a Byron Saxon, I'm sorry, a Corey Graves, or just a two-man announce booth. I mean, WWE loves their three-man announce booths for whatever reason. I would just much much rather keep it two men, but whatever, to each their own. Um, Jerry Lawler, though, I feel like if you just had Ronaldo and Lawler on SmackDown, it would be perfect. And you could keep the Raw commentary team as it is with Cole, JBL, and Saxton on Raw. In post-draft, and when everyone's assigned to a certain brand, there really, to me, makes... There really is no purpose in having, you know, uh, Byron Saxton in both shows. To me, that makes absolutely no sense. And I assume that'll be the plan post-draft to have people on separate shows and not have commentators pulling double duty. Because, like I said, to me, that just makes zero sense. So, um, keeping Ronaldo and Lawler on SmackDown or taking Lawler away or adding Corey Graves to the equation on SmackDown, I think would be great. But yeah, Jerry Lawler, I feel like, has come a long way as a commentator. It seems like... He is a lot more fun as a heel. He's just a lot more entertaining. He's not like saying puppies and shit like that, which was 
entertaining 10, 15 years ago, but let's face it, in 2016, there's really no need for that kind of shit, just because it's very degrading to the women, especially now that we have the women's division back, and women's wrestling is finally being taken seriously, him, you know, drooling over the divas and stuff like that, or over the women at this point, no longer the divas, it's just unnecessary this day and age, so I'm glad we have a heel Jerry Lawler, but without all the, without, without all the bullshit, you know what I mean, without all the, the puppies and all that kind of garbage, that was a very prominent part of the Jerry Lawler character in the late 90s, early 2000s, even the mid-2000s. But he's not, you know, cracking corny jokes. I mean, he is from time to time, but and it's in a, it's in a heel light, and it's a lot more entertaining and funny than it would have been him as a babyface. So he seems a lot more motivated, I guess is the perfect word to use, um, this day and age on SmackDown alongside Maranalo as a heel commentator. So he was hoping that continues post-draft, and as soon as he returns to the booth, probably as soon as Thursday's SmackDown. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. In other news, returning to action this past Thursday, or Thursday, I think it was, maybe Friday, or one of those weeks, I'm pretty sure it was last Thursday, at an NXT Live event, Hideo Tommy is back from an injury after almost, God, I think it's been maybe 14 months, I think he wrestled his final match in April of 2015, and then he got hurt, might have been shoulder surgery, I think it was, and um, he underwent multiple surgeries, some unsuccessful, and then he finally came back to action this past week at an NXT Live event. When he'll be back in NXT TV, I would reckon to guess probably the next set of tapings, which might take place later on in the month. I know they just got finished doing some in late June, so it might be a few more weeks before they take before they tape their next set of uh their next few weeks of NXT TV. Probably going to take over Brooklyn, but uh, yeah, Tommy's back. Great to see that, and he, he kind of went under the radar in recent months, and people are speculating whether he was even still around because he's been gone for so long. Like I said, 14 months is a long ass time to be gone for. And I honestly figured that he would not be coming back. I mean, Tyson Kidd at this point, I still get questions on hashtag AskGSM, and people ask me, when's Tyson Kidd coming back? I honestly don't think he is, just because... And there are two very different injuries. A shoulder surgery you can't come back from. It takes a long time. I mean, Randy Orton had had a shoulder injury, and he still does. And he suffered that back in October, and he's still not back yet. But a neck injury is very different. That's why I don't think Tyson Kidd will ever be back in the ring, unfortunately. But uh, Hideo Tommy, I felt like there were some points where I felt like, wow, are they even going to bring him back at all? I mean, they have Nakamura now. They don't really need a Tommy, so to speak. But he can add a lot to the roster, especially with so many stars getting promoted to Ron SmackDown. And hell, they could even wait until, you know, um, the draft to bring a Tommy up to the main roster. I wouldn't do that just because I don't think he's ready just yet. He was really kind of finding his stride before he got hurt. A part of NXT for a few months that he was there having great matches with Balor. Tyler Breeze and even the Ascension had a really good match with them at Takeover R Evolution, I think it was. But um, I wouldn't bring him up to the main roster just yet. It wouldn't be the worst thing for him, but I think he'd be better off in NXT for the foreseeable future. And you know, tying up those loose ends and in terms of who his attacker was, because if you can recall, the last time we saw Tommy, it was back in the spring um, of 2015, right before Takeover. I think it was Unstoppable at that whatever that May special was, and he got hurt. And uh, to explain it in storyline, they had someone attack him outside in the parking lot. You saw Kevin Owens walk by and whatever, but um, you know Kevin Owens obviously would have been the most prominent, would have been the most obvious candidate. But I feel like it'd make a lot more sense if it was someone like a Samoa Joe who debuted that same night, so it would make sense from a storyline standpoint if it was Samoa Joe or even a Balor. I mean, I know people have speculated that maybe it was the Demon that did it, not Finn Balor, because. Really, if you think about who was the biggest beneficiary of Atami getting hurt, it was Finn Balor. In Atami's absence, Balor won the number one contenders match that same night that Atami got hurt to become the number one contender to the NXT Championship, won the NXT Championship in Japan at that Beast in the Special, which was a year ago yesterday, a great special. I just rewatched it on the network. It's awesome. And then he went on to reign as the NXT Champion for almost 300 days. And, you know, arguably, probably, I mean, it really was never really confirmed by anyone from what I saw, but it is safe to assume that had Atami not gotten hurt, he probably would have been the one to win the championship in Japan and not Balor. So who knows? And uh, we'll see where he you know, kind of, you know, if where, if he can you know pick up where he left off once he returns to NXT TV in the next few weeks. But it's going to be interesting. Like I said, hopefully they kind of tap those loose ends. And it's NXT. I'm not really worried about that. This is not the main roster. NXT always kind of alludes to past storylines and past feuds, and they acknowledge shit. They don't ignore it. Nine times out of ten, 9.9 times out of ten, does NXT kind of uh, harbor back in old storylines and tie up loose ends, and they don't make us, they don't let us forget about stuff that happened even a year ago. So I look forward to seeing Atami back in action, and like I said, no better time for him to be back than right now, with guys like potentially Nakamura, 
definitely Balor, maybe in Austin Aries or Samoa Joe or whoever else in NXT getting called up in the near future. They need all the star power they can get. Now, like I've said before, NXT post-draft is going to be just fine because they have people like Tino Sabatelli, Aaliyah, you know, people that aren't, you know, obviously not on the same level as a Balor or Bailey, but they are ready for NXT TV. From what I've seen, I'm not, you know, maybe not 100%, but they are getting closer to getting on TV for NXT and they can fill those voids. You know, they had the guy Andrade almost just debut a little over a month ago in NXT TakeOver The End. So they have people waiting in the wings to debut or like a Christopher Gerrard whose new name is like Oni Larkin or something stupid like that that he just won a match in NXT. I think not last week, but the week before that. And uh, so we'll see, you know, those people hopefully get a more prominent role on TV after all the call-ups and whatever. And it could range from one or two people to five or six people, including the women. So you never really know. But the point I'm trying to make is that with all these people probably going up in the near future, Atami is in a perfect spot to kind of fill that void and enter the NXT Tag Team, or rather the NXT Championship picture, sooner rather than later in a match with Joe or even Nakamura would be absolute money. So moving forward to Brock Lesnar, it was announced on Monday's Raw that Brock Lesnar's SummerSlam opponent will be revealed this upcoming week on SmackDown. It's probably going to be revealed tonight at the SmackDown taping, so if you listen to this in the excerpt on YouTube on Wednesday, it's probably already been revealed. Maybe they'll save it for a graphic and it won't be revealed until the show airs on Thursday, I have no idea. But uh, as of right now, rumors are running rampant in terms of who Brock Lesnar will be facing at SummerSlam. My immediate guess is Bray Wyatt. Um, a match that I've talked about before and that I'm not 100% excited for just because Wyatt does not need to lose at this point in time. If they lose to the New Day at Battleground, I'm fine with that. He, Bray Wyatt, hopefully, and should not be pinned. But And it all really goes back to Bray Wyatt. He should be a babyface right now. The guy was on a hot streak before he got hurt, albeit for like a week or two. But people really, really wanted to get behind Bray Wyatt when he turned babyface right after WrestleMania. And then he got hurt, and then he was out for two months. And uh, now they're resuming his heel run, which to me is a giant mistake. And hopefully it's only a matter of time before they turn him babyface, because that's where the real money lies with Bray Wyatt, in my opinion. Uh, but again, that was the match they were going to do at Roadblock, but they turned it into a 2-1-1 handicap match with Brock Lesnar versus Bray Wyatt and Luke Harper, and they never really made contact. So they were saying that, oh, we held off on it because we want to save it for SummerSlam, so I could very well see that being the case. I know the Wyatt family is currently embroiled in a feud with the uh, with the New Day over the tag team titles going into Battleground, but they could still announce Bray Wyatt as Brock Lesnar's opponent going into SummerSlam. I mean, to me, it would make no sense. If, if you really think about it, now that I really think about it, now that I'm talking about it, if they announce Bray Wyatt as Brock Lesnar's opponent for SummerSlam, and I could see them announcing like a fucking Big Show or a Kofi Kingston. This is not a live special. This is a pay-per-view. WWE's second biggest pay-per-view of the year, to be exact. It can't be a Bray Wyatt, now that I think about it. I mean, I, I that's my immediate guess, but now the more I think about it, the more, to me, it doesn't make sense. Just because I know they alluded to it, they, they teased it earlier on in the year, but it just feels like if Bray Wyatt wins at Battleground, and I assume he's going to be in the tag team title picture, I assume it's going to be a three-on-three match with the tag team titles up for grabs via the Freebird rule or whatever. I assume that they win the tag team. If they won the tag team titles, then Brock Lesnar is facing a tag team champion at SummerSlam. If he doesn't, if he loses, he won't be a champion, but Brock Lesnar will be facing a momentumless loser at SummerSlam. So either way, it's a lose-lose to do Brock Lesnar versus Bray Wyatt. That in addition to the fact, like, like I said, it just makes no sense that Bray Wyatt just feed him to Brock Lesnar. And I don't really want him to beat Brock Lesnar either. So I really don't want to see that match. Maybe at some point down the line when Bray Wyatt means more, Right now, though, it just does not work. Um, other people that people are speculating, I heard a report or read a report earlier on today that it might be Randy Orton. That would be a blockbuster announcement. That would be a great opponent for Brock Lesnar. I've been saying this for years. I remember reading a report back in 2012, right after Brock Lesnar came back, that we're planning Brock Lesnar versus Randy Orton for SummerSlam, and it didn't come to fruition. I assume for a few reasons. One, because they wanted to go with Triple H as the money match. And two... Uh, I mean, it's hard to say, because I know Randy Orton got suspended in May. They announced they kind of started planting the seeds for Lesnar versus um, Triple H in April, but maybe they felt Orton wasn't really as big of a name as Triple H, and the Triple H feud went on for just way too long. Not a terrible feud, and their matches were not really that great, but um, I, it just didn't really make sense to do Orton and Lesnar at that time, just because it really kind of came out of nowhere, and I know Orton was Orton was a babyface, Lesnar was a heel, 
and or yeah, that was the way that it worked out at the time. And uh, I don't know, it just didn't really feel right. But four years later, to me, it feels like the timing could not be better to do Brock Lesnar and Randy Orton. And I love fresh matches. That any fresh match that we can get with Brock Lesnar is a plus to me. And I know he's been facing guys like Sheamus and Rusev at live events and stuff like that, which is cool. But he should be doing more, um, you know, more of those matches televised. Like having him face fucking Big Show in an MSG special to me was stupid. I know he beat him clean and whatever in like two minutes, which was great. But um, he should be facing more fresh faces. I don't want to see Lesnar and John Cena again. I really do not care to see that whatsoever. Um, I know that's a possibility, but I don't want to see that whatsoever. Lesnar versus like an AJ Styles would be cool. Right now, that doesn't make it really much sense, but it would be cool. Um, to me, but Randy Orton, I think, would make the most sense. I just can't really see them announcing Orton right now just because he's been hurt for like eight months. So to say he's facing Randy Orton when neither guy are on TV right now, it would just be a weird announcement for like SummerSlam. Like, I could see the match being built up like with Randy Orton coming back and his first appearance back is him saying, I want to face the Beast at SummerSlam. Like, that to me makes sense. But to announce a Brock Lesnar match for SummerSlam over a month and a half out... And then with neither guy being on TV for the next couple of weeks anyway, I don't know when Orton's due back. He's due back anytime now. I know he was, I think, a little behind on his recovery, on his road to recovery, but he should be back in the next month or so. So I have no doubt he'll be clear to wrestle by SummerSlam. It's just a weird match to announce a month out when there's really no storyline reason for it. You know, Lesnar and Orton is, okay, cool, but why? You know, every other match we've gotten from Lesnar, televised anyway in the past three or four years, has always had a storyline reason behind it. I mean, Ambrose, he cost him in storyline. He cost Lesnar his shot at becoming the new number one contender to the title at WrestleMania after their interaction at Fastlane. So that was the, what you kind of, uh, you know, built the bridge to their match at WrestleMania. Before that, he always wanted the championship. Before that, you know, Lesnar um, had his sights set on destroying the legend of The Undertaker, leading to their series of matches in 2015. Even before that, you know, their matches, his matches with CM Punk in 2013. I mean, he was a former client of Paul Heyman. He was doing Paul Heyman's dirty work. He was doing his dirty deeds by going after CM Punk, going into SummerSlam 2013. So every match that we've seen from Brock Lesnar in the last four or three years has always had a storyline reason behind it. So, again, I wouldn't complain because that's the match I want to see. I want to see Brock Lesnar and Randy Orton. I just don't, it just doesn't really, not that it doesn't really make much sense. It's just. I can't see it happening. So I guess we'll find out on SmackDown. But Orton is being rumored. Uh, Bray Wyatt is my pick currently to face Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam. Um, I know, like I said, there's a few other people they could always put in the ring with. I don't know. Fucking anybody. I know RJ and I were speculating via text. Maybe Goldberg. That'd be awesome. I, I, that's not something they would announce on SmackDown. So just uh, I'm not getting my hopes up. But I know people are also asking. Another big concern was, and we're leading to this right now. As to why they're announcing it now. Why do it this week? And the pay-per-view isn't for another two weeks. Uh, SummerSlam isn't another for another month and a half. Battleground is not for another, you know, like two weeks, like I said. So why announce it now? To me, it makes sense just because UFC 200 is on Saturday. They want to capitalize off the, off the momentum, off the buzz, off the mainstream attention that Brock Lesnar is getting by announcing a SummerSlam opponent this week, two days before the big fight. Which... It doesn't surprise me they didn't acknowledge it on Raw this past week, but I think it's a major mistake. Just because WWE is missing a big opportunity to capitalize off all the momentum. Like I said, they announced that who is it SummerSlam is opponent going to be. They said they're going to announce it on SmackDown, so they are capitalizing off it in a way. And I know the website, um, you know, teased talking about they they did put up a report, an article over a month ago about how. Um, Brock Lesnar will be fighting UFC 200. So they did acknowledge it on Twitter, on social media, on the website. But the website and the social media accounts and TV are all very different things. They will bring up Ring of Honor. They'll bring up all this other shit on the website, which is awesome and a step in the right direction. Joey Styles, I you know tip my hat to you, sir. But they will never bring it up on TV, You know, at least on Raw. Maybe on NXT or SmackDown, but never on Raw. Which is unfortunate, because they really had an opportunity. I mean, I know it's a holiday show, but that would have been the time to really hammer home that, wow, one of our WWE superstars, one of the highest paid superstars in the company right now, is fighting for another promotion on Saturday. And I know it's cross-promotional. UFC is competition to WWE. I don't care what anyone says. They are direct competitors, whether you believe it or not. Uh, Maybe not wrestling-wise, but in terms of, not for talent. I know CM Punk's over there right now. But I'm talking about... 
there are fans that will leave WWE for UFC. It's not like they're all going to stop watching WWE for Ring of Honor or for TNA. A lot of people who watch those other promotions do watch WWE. Um, they, you know, people just there's not a lot of people out there who only watch TNA or only watch Lucha Underground. A lot of those people are crossovers from WWE. But there are people. I know a lot of people who stopped watching wrestling for the UFC for something more legitimate, for something more aggressive, for something more, you know, exciting in their eyes. You know, um, I try to watch UFC whenever I can. I'm a casual fan at best. But I do plan on watching UFC 200 on Saturday. I think it's going to be a huge fight, obviously. That's like saying the sky is blue, but it's going to be awesome for WWE and UFC fans. I think it's a big win-win. I mean, we have Brock Lesnar, and I talked about this a month ago, so I won't you know rehash everything I said. I know I had a whole 15-minute clip on the YouTube channel about me talking about Brock Lesnar fighting for the UFC and potential opponents for SummerSlam or whatever. So I won't rehash everything I said a month ago, but it's a big win-win for both companies, and just to not promote it is really... Again, not surprising, but just asinine to me. I feel like WWE is really shooting themselves in the foot by not bringing up that, you know, Brock Lesnar, yes, he's still under contract to us, is fighting inside the octagon one last time. He's not returning the UFC full-time. He's back there for a one-off. This Saturday, UFC 200. So, again, they really missed a big opportunity to do that on Raw. Again, not a huge surprise, but slightly disappointing. But like I said, UFC 200 this upcoming Saturday, it's going to be huge. Can't wait for it. I've already, I think I had the day off from work that day, so I cannot wait to watch it live at a Buffalo Wild Wings. I have Buffalo Wild Wings money, so I can't wait to go watch it in person, live, whatever. Not in person, but live at Buffalo Wild Wings. It's always a great environment over there. I used to watch WWE pay-per-views at the restaurant all the time before the network came out. But anyway... Uh, so he's fighting Mark Hunt. So I've talked about this before. I know his opponent was revealed only days after news broke that he was returning to the Octagon at UFC 200. Uh, Mark Hunt is a tough son of a bitch. That guy broke someone's jaw, and I believe in his last fight. So he is no pushover. This is not going to be an easy win for Lesnar. Honestly, I think Lesnar will lose. Uh, that is my official prediction. I'll put this up as a clip on the YouTube channel, but I honestly think Lesnar will lose at UFC 200. Probably... And the thing is, and again, I don't want to rehash my thoughts and kind of repeat myself, but if Lesnar loses in like 30 seconds, would it hinder his WWE image, his you know credibility as a WWE superstar? Maybe ever so slightly, but the guy's still going to be a huge draw. You know, it's that's another universe. WWE doesn't really. I know they like to acknowledge his UFC past, but if he loses, obviously they will not. You know, they will not acknowledge it. But if he wins, you know they won't shut up about it on TV in the weeks that follow. So anyway, um, and I talked about this before, but just I feel like if he has a strong showing in defeat, if he's made to look credible, not made to look credible, it's not like they're booking this shit, obviously, but if he looks credible in defeat, then he'll be just fine. Um, I, I would love to see Lesnar win. I don't think he will. He's been out of the octagon for five years, I know. Or yeah, just about five years at this point. I know his last fight was in December of 2011, but... um. I know that before that, in the last few fights that he had, he had diverticulitis, and he was hurt, and he was sick, and whatever. So now he's, according to Lesnar, according to him, he's 100%. But at the same time, he hasn't fought in over five years. So it's going to be interesting. I'm looking forward to it. But like, like I said, my official prediction for Mark Hunt versus Brock Lesnar this Saturday, it will be Mark Hunt via knockout, via total knockout, via TKO, whatever. Um, I do look forward to the fight. Should be a great show. I, I, I will watch the entire show, not the, just the Lesnar fight. I will be sticking, you know, sticking around, staying tuned for the entire UFC 200 pay-per-view. Um, it should be a blockbuster show, and I will also go on record in saying this will be the UFC's biggest buy rate to date. Their biggest buy rate up to this point, anyway, was UFC 100. The same pay-per-view where Brock Lesnar won the UFC championship almost exactly seven years ago against Frank Mir, and that was their biggest buy rate up to that point. And I think Lesnar... Out of their biggest buy rates of all time, Lesnar has been involved, and in, I think multiple of them, um, quite a few of them. So I feel like this Saturday will be no different. UFC 200, can't wait for it. So let's move forward here into my Raw review for 4th of July 2016. Um, like I said, a pretty straightforward holiday campy comedy show, which was to be expected. So I wasn't like, oh, this is such a shit show, or this is awful, or I expected something bigger. And honestly, there really wasn't a better time for them to hold this show than right now. Because between Money in the Bank and Battleground, we have five episodes of Raw. We had, you know, the night after Money in the Bank. We had last week. Both were very good shows, in my opinion. And then we have this week. Kind of that middle week where nothing really has to happen. We still had some pretty good matches on this show. And some matches made official for the upcoming pay-per-view, which I'll talk about soon enough, too. But then we also have next week, which is really, to me, the real go-home show. Because then a week after that, you know they're going to be talking nothing about... And then uh, they're going to be talking... 
about only the WWE draft. That is the next night. So um, if there was really any week to kind of take a step back and you know have fun or not really focus too much on storylines, it was last night. So I didn't have a huge problem with it. I know I try to try to be optimistic as possible whenever I can when it comes to WWE and wrestling on the whole. So I know I probably enjoyed the show a lot more than many others did. So I don't shit on people like, oh, you didn't like the show, then you're not a real wrestling fan. Like, that's not me. Um, just for me personally, I like the show. I thought the opening segment was awesome. I honestly thought the food fight they had at the start of this Raw was the greatest food fight of all time in WWE history. And I'll tell you why. So we knew we were having this big barbecue cookout at the start of Raw. They teased it on the website. We saw photos on the YouTube or on the fucking Instagram, Twitter, whatever, on their accounts showing these photos of the cookout and all the uh, chaos that it created afterwards and the giant food fight that commenced. But we see the VOD villains doing a, um, they're doing karaoke. We see, we see Golden Truth doing karaoke. And then Big Show and Kane are going at it in just this huge food fight kicks off after Miz and Maurice come down and say, Hey, I'm a movie star. You guys need to shut this down. He gets a pie in the face. So does Maurice right in the boob. And then they go forward and have this huge food fight. And like I said, it's just the little things. It's not just the food fight. It brings back, you know, memories of the Thanksgiving Smackdowns in the early two thousands. It's not just that it's the little things like Kevin Owens. You see, you see the camera pan across the room. Okay. And you see Kevin Owens, and it's not, the, the camera is not focused on him. You have to really pay attention during this thing, to all the little things going on. But you see Kevin Owens sit in, sitting in his chair, and he goes from the table to underneath. It goes from sitting at the table to sitting underneath the table. And he grabs a bag of Lay's chips and starts eating them while the whole food fight is going on. I fucking died. I thought that was absolutely golden. But that wasn't all. You see Sami Zayn with his bowl of beans, and he says, no one eat the beans. They're contaminated. Don't eat the beans. And I was dying at that. I was dying at Bo Dallas getting a bowl of fruit punch. He was going to pour it on like Enzo Mori, I think it was. And then I think it might have been Titus. Or somebody poured the bowl of fruit punch on Bo Dallas. And he's just covered in this fruit punch. But then he starts screaming, my eyes. I can't see my eyes. And again, I fucking Died. It was the little things like that. Even Cesaro and Apollo Crews having a, an arm wrestling match on one of the tables before the food fight, during the food fight, and after the food fight. New Day during the, doing the, doing their thing in the corner. It just had me dying. I thought it was absolutely great. And they don't show every part of the food fight on the WWE YouTube channel. If you watch the clip that they put up, you gotta watch. I don't know where you can find it. Some you know random ass website or something. But you have to watch the full food fight. It's maybe like two minutes or so, even if that. But it's so great. And by and large, it was a really good reaction. I saw a lot of positive remarks, a lot of positive feedback regarding the segment online. Not like it really matters. It's a fucking food fight. But the point I'm trying to make is that with stuff like this, you just have to stop taking it seriously for two seconds and just realize that wrestling is all about having fun. I know we do a whole fucking wrestling podcast here on WrestleRant Radio for an hour talking about wrestling and whatever else, as do millions of other people. And taking it seriously, as you should. I mean, obviously, it's sports entertainment. It's not life or death, but... Technically, we are taking it seriously by talking about it in a podcast form, writing articles about it. That's what I do. My 99% of my life consists of wrestling, so obviously I take it seriously. But at the end of the day, it is sports entertainment. Pro wrestling is sports entertainment, or entertaining pro wrestling as some other people would like to put it, whatever. Um, So you just have to sit back and enjoy moments like this. Again, on a holiday show, you had to expect nothing less. But I thought this was fucking fantastic. And for people saying that, no, it's it's okay to say that oh, I drank during this. It was, you know, um, it, you know, take a shot every time someone throws a piece of food, whatever. That's fine. But to shit on it and say, oh, that was awful. That sucked. It was stupid. People, what do you expect? It's the 4th of July. You knew they were going to do something like this. And if they're going to do it, you got to go all out. And that's exactly what WWE did last night with this food fight. Like I said, I thought it was absolutely amazing. I thought this was just fucking great. And in my opinion, the best thing on the entire show. I had to rewatch it later on in the night before I headed to bed because I thought this was just absolutely golden. So uh, two thumbs up for WWE and every superstar in the roster that took part in this because I thought it was just really, really well done. And wrestling at the end of the day is just all about having fun. That is what wrestling is all about. Having fun. And they did just that in this segment to kick off the 4th of July Raw last night. 
So that was a good segment. After that segment, we had Lillian Garcia doing her amazing rendition of the uh, of the national anthem, which was Great America the Beautiful, I think it was, uh, or something. She, I'm pretty sure she sang the uh, national anthem. So she did that, leading into the United States Championship match. Right after that, right after Lillian Garcia gets done, we hear Rusev's music hit, which was perfect. You know, we go from the amazing rendition of America the Beautiful to Rusev coming out as the United States champion, this evil, ruthless foreign Russian, this evil foreigner coming out to defend his U.S. championship against the most patriotic superstar you would believe in WWE wearing the uh, Apollo Crew or Apollo Creed gear from head to toe. I almost said Apollo Crews. We had Apollo Crews. We have Consequences Creed, the former, you know, the current Xavier Woods, whatever, from TNA. But um, anyway, so Titus O'Neil comes out. They have a pretty good match. A lot more interested in, in this match I was than I was in their previous encounters at Money in the Bank, on Raw, whatever. Just because O'Neal, the whole family aspect of it and making O'Neal, adding this extra aggressive edge to his character, I thought was great. And it really made me more invested in his chase for the championship. So um, I like this match. I thought it was a perfect opener to the show. They had a good match. O'Neal got a really good near, good near fall. You know, down the stretch by hitting the Clash of the Titus, Rusev kicked out. And ultimately, Rusev was successful in retaining the championship in clean fashion, too. So I was happy to see that. And then he took the uh, mic afterwards and said, "You, this should be called Rusev Day. This should be Rusev Day. I am your United States champion. I thought it was awesome. And Rusev is just fucking great. So a uh, good match, good angle. Had Happy that Rusev is still the U.S. champion. I was hoping afterwards that in still attacking O'Neal when he locked in the accolade for a second time afterwards, I was hoping his next opponent would come out. I know there was some speculation over the weekend it might be uh, Darren Young, which would be pretty cool. Um, I would, you know, they, they have yet to debut that duo of Bob Backlund and Darren Young. I have no idea when that's happening. It should happen sooner rather than later. I like the vignettes they do on TV every week, but it's been goddamn two months. You gotta debut the guys already. Debut Backlund with Young, or Young with Backlund, whatever. You know, ba- Backlund is the manager, obviously. Although I, I wish it was the other way around, that'd be pretty cool. But um, hopefully it's only a matter of time. But I thought he would debut here. He did not. We did not get anyone saving Titus. Then Rusev just uh, took the mic afterwards. Like I said, proclaimed himself as the greatest United States champion of all time. And that was it. So a good opener to the show. After that, we had Enzo Amore and Big Cass taking on the social outcast. Again, wrestling is all about having fun. And that's exactly what this was. We had uh, the social outcast dress up as uh, a bunch of presidents. I could, probably no one in particular. They just wore the old stereotypical, you know, presidential gear with the wig and the robes and whatever. Bo Dallas with his goofy-ass smile had me dying when he came out in that presidential gear. I thought that was great. Enzo listing off every American U.S. Per- every U.S. president ever, which was pretty damn impressive. The match was total throwaway. Quick squash, Enzo and Cass win. Not the last time we would see them on this show. Um, it's still a good use of these guys, and I'm glad this is not leading to a full-fledged feud between the two teams after what happened last week, so good stuff. Uh, Sasha Banks interrupting Charlotte up next. Charlotte talking about being the greatest WWE Women's Champion of all time. There are weeks when Charlotte comes off very well on the mic. She'll have some great mic work. And then there's other weeks when she doesn't really come off quite as comfortable for whatever reason. But when she is in the ring with, you know, talkers that are better than her, like a Sasha Banks, she's infinitely better on the microphone. And that was certainly the case here. The first part of Charlotte's promo was talking about whatever else, like I said, but the delivery, it just feels robotic sometimes. And she's a lot better as a talker, as a heel, of a talker as a heel than she was as a babyface. But she doesn't really have much inflection in her voice. She'll just say things and yell like, I am the greatest women. Like, just say it over and over without any real inflection or dynamic in her voice. And it just gets very re- robotic, like, halfway through. So, like I said, she'll have her weeks when she's great and other weeks, like, she's fucking deplorable. But anyway, um, I thought the segment was good. Sasha really giving us an insight on what the character is all about, what the boss is all about, and that's what we needed from this feud. And it's been a decent feud. They obviously have history in NXT dating back years, you know, dating back to fucking 2013. I remember having the matches in NXT. I remember seeing these two face off in episodes of NXT even back then when Charlotte first debuted in WWE on NXT along with Sasha Banks. But um, then beyond that, they had their matches over the women's championship they were involved in the whole divas revolution last year and charlotte beat becky lynch at wrestlemania she did not pin sasha banks which sasha did bring up last night and she and she said that charlotte has never beaten sasha specifically on the main roster she has beaten her before multiple times in nxt but never on the main stage of wwe or on a pay-per-view she did not pin sasha at wrestlemania and come to think of it sasha i do not i do not think has ever been beaten on wwe programming um, in singles competition anyway. I think she has yet to be pinned or submitted, which she did not bring up last night, but she brought it up going into WrestleMania. 
But that's pretty damn impressive. I know she's been off TV for the past couple of weeks, and she had a hiatus like right before the Royal Rumble. But even still, to think that Sasha has not yet been beaten on the main roster is pretty impressive, considering the fact that we're coming up on the one-year anniversary of their debut on Raw. That's impressive. So here's hoping they kind of... Uh, you know, uh, hone in on that as the match gets closer. But overall, really good segment. Some decent mic work from Charlotte. A great mic work from Sasha Banks. She really carried this segment. And uh, talking about what the boss character is all about. Like I said, we needed that character development. It's great to see Sasha. It's great to see her winning matches on Raw and SmackDown and coming out and coming to the aid of people like Becky Lynch or whoever else. But um, we needed to hear from Sasha. What is her motivation in winning the championship? And we got just that last night on Raw. Two thumbs up. Really good segment that made me even more excited for their upcoming clash for the WWE Women's Championship, which has yet to be confirmed for the card, but it's more than likely happening at Battleground. So after that, we had Dean Ambrose versus The Miz and a champion versus champion match, which Michael Cole called rare earlier on in the evening, and I laughed. I put this up on Twitter, but when Michael Cole said that champion versus champion matches are rare... Um, I put a You Are a Stupid gift from CM Punk on my Twitter just because we saw the exact same match only five days earlier, four days earlier on SmackDown. So I got a good laugh out of that. So they're not quite as rare as, you know, WWE would like to make you think. But here's hoping, and I said this in my SmackDown review, I said this in my Raw review, but here's hoping that post-draft, post-brand effect, or, you know, post brand split, whatever, post-brand extension, the champion versus champion matches are much more of a, uh, much more, not a variety, of a rarity. We see them all the time nowadays, and they mean fucking nothing. They mean jack shit in this company, because they do them so often, and they mean nothing. Like, it's cool when we get a title for a title match, like first time ever at SummerSlam last year between Seth Rollins and John Cena, but when you really think about it, how much more would that, have match, would that match have meant had champion versus champion matches not been abused to death over the years? Because ever since we've had this um, brand split done away with for the past five years, we have not had a real, true, meaningful champion versus champion match because we've seen these matches done time and time again. But at any rate, I'll get off my soapbox. I thought the match itself between Ambrose and Miz was really, really good. They had a great match on SmackDown. This match was just as entertaining. I like Miz having competitive matches. I mean, you got to go back and forth on it just because there's some weeks where Miz will have a really, really good competitive match. And then other weeks, he's getting beaten in like two minutes. So it's not really a consistent trait of the Miz character, but still to see him... Any chance he gets to be more competitive in a match, I'll take it. It's cool to see him look like an equal to Ambrose, as he was here. So an entertaining match. Ambrose wins clean. We get a brief interaction between Ambrose and Rollins afterwards. And Ambrose joins commentary as we have Seth Rollins versus Dolph Ziggler up next. Really, really good match. Again, what else is new? These two have had great matches time, <clears throat> time and time again over the years. Ever since their initial encounter two years ago, they've had a million matches since then, but they always work well together, so I can't complain. But uh, good match, really good stuff. Seth Rollins wins clean with the pedigree. Then him and Ambrose get at get you know get at it at ringside on the commentary table. Ambrose lays Rollins up with the dirty deeds on top of the table. So good stuff. It didn't really necessarily, unlike the previous women's segment, it didn't really make me any more excited for their upcoming match at Battleground. And it seems like since Roman Reigns won't be on TV at all until the pay-per-view, they're going to continue make his presence felt. They're going to continue to have his presence felt by bringing up that he was suspended and bringing up that he fucked up and that he's embarrassed the company. That's exactly what Rollins did last night, and I know he should be a babyface right now, but no one is better at getting the you know under the skin of fans than Seth Rollins. The guy's a great talker. So he was hoping those same mic skills translate over to him being a babyface before long, because the guy is great either way. But um, he was just, once again, verbally burying Roman Reigns, and I think that's more of obviously creative and even more so Vince or the company itself. Um, kind of bearing Roman Reigns and Seth or whoever else and even creative, but that's what they got to do. They have to remind people that the match at Battleground is not just Ambrose and Rollins. It's going to be Ambrose, Rollins, and Reigns and a triple threat. So I'm not going to go off on a rant about that again and why it should be a one-on-one match, but whatever. But I will say, like I said, um, a good you know furthering of the few, not really anything too notable, but for a holiday week, I expected nothing less. So after that, we had the return of Vicky Guerrero to WWE TV, the first time we've seen her in over two years. The last time we saw her on WWE TV, she tossed Stephanie McMahon in a pool of mud after being fired by Stephanie on Raw, and we have not seen her since. So it was good to see Vicky, you know, if only for a one-off appearance. Um, I think that's the role that she's better suited in at this point. I know people are saying, oh, she's amazing at having heat, and they should, they should bring her back in a managerial role because she was still great at getting heat, but... 
God damn it. I mean, I love Vicky. She was great at what she does. She's an amazing human being, but the character was done to death. I remember sitting right here in this very chair. I'm recording the show right now and talking about this when it happened two years ago. But Vicky Guerrero, I commend her for the near decade that she was a part of the company for and everything else she's done for WWE over the years. But um, damn, oh my God, that character had been, you know, just done to death over the nine years that she was with the company. So she could not have left at a better time. And I'm happy that she's, you know, pursuing her, pursuing happiness and pursuing another career in education. I think she graduated from somewhere with a, a degree from somewhere in the past couple of years, months even. I don't even really remember, but... Uh, the character does not need to be a regular on WWE TV again. She's great at getting heat, but we had her as SmackDown GM how many times? Five, six times as whatever it was. The managing consultant, the assistant GM, the supervisor, the fucking general manager, the COO, whatever it was. Vicky held that position nine or ten times over. So thankfully those days are done. And like I said, it's good to see her for a one-off, but I do not need to see her back on my TV permanently ever. Not even anytime soon, just ever. Um, but good to see her, nevertheless. After that, we had the Golden Truth beating the Vaude Villains. Poor Vaude Villains. I mean, these guys came up from NXT right after WrestleMania. And I was not really high on the idea of calling them up just because I would have rather seen the Hypros in the main roster than the fucking Vaude Villains. But to each their own. Just because it just doesn't really feel like a gimmick that's going to get over on the main roster. And it really it has gotten better. It's gotten more over than I thought it would, to be quite honest with you. But ever since they lost the tag team title match to the New Day at Extreme Rules, as they should have, they, they should not have won the championships. But ever since then, they've just been background players. They were background players the Money in the Bank. They were background players when they lost to the New Day on SmackDown. They were background players last night when they lost to Golden Truth on Raw in like less than three minutes. And that, to me, was like the kiss of death for these guys in losing the Golden Truth. And worse yet, it looks like we're getting the feud between Brazongo and Golden Truth resumed coming out of this show, which had me almost scratching my eyes out just because that feud was so awful. I have no reason. I have no intention, no desire to see it continue. Uh, so here is hoping that it won't. It probably will, but it shouldn't. Um, but just bottom line, poor Vaude Villains. Like I said, I'm not their biggest fans, and they've really gotten more over. They're not the most overact in the company by a long shot, but they've fared better than I thought they would when they came up to Raw and SmackDown. I did not really give them the benefit of the doubt, but they have really done well for themselves, by, you know, by and large. So to see them lose the Golden Truth in less than, like, two minutes was really, like, really? Come on, really? Like, I'd rather see the fucking, like, Shining Stars lose to the Golden Truth, who they apparently still have high hopes for. They've only wrestled on main event and superstars in recent months. No one cares about these guys. I don't know why they just don't make them losers again, but... Whatever. Um, anyway, so still a uh, throwaway match with the Golden Truth winning. John Cena up next calling out the club. And, uh, you know, AJ Styles cutting another great promo about how he says that, what are we doing tomorrow? We're going to beat up John Cena. I'm going to eat my breakfast and I'm going to beat up John Cena. I'm going to dress up as Brutus the Barber Beefcake, which got a huge pop out of me. I'm going to get, I'm going to dress up as Brutus the Barber Beefcake on Halloween this year and then go beat up John Cena. And he was having so much fun with this promo and I was just, dying the entire time, and Styles, as great of a babyface as he is, and I said this in my Raw review last night, as fantastic of a face as he is, he is just having so much fun as a heel right now, especially in this feud with Johnson, it's been a lot of fun, so this was great, Um, as he promised to do, they beat up John Cena, and then making the save, not the Usos, not the New Day, but rather Enzo and Cass, and I thought that was awesome. I love the idea of John Cena teaming up with these guys. And I talked about it a few weeks ago, um, either here or on hashtag AskGSM, I forgot what it was, in that teaming the New Day with John Cena, I thought was like, oh no, here it comes. Like, that's what what that's what happened to the Usos. They lost those cool points, so to speak, with a lot of the IWC or the internet or the hardcore fans, whoever, whatever the hell you want to call us, uh, them, us, whatever. Um, when he started teaming with the Usos, just because... The Usos were really, really cool, but then when you get involved with John Cena, it's like the kiss of death. Like, they start taking the falls, or they start losing a lot, or whatever else, and they start doing campy shit, but I am so happy it's not the Usos teaming with John Cena again, and instead it's Enzo and Cass. It's a big promotion for these guys. We saw a little bit of the club versus Enzo and Cass, versus the realest guys in the room back in Money in the Bank, obviously, in the Fatal 4-Way Tag Team title match, and what and a one-off match on SmackDown, I think on my birthday... No, I don't think it was on my birthday. I think it was the week later on June 9th, not on June 2nd. But uh, they had a good match on SmackDown that ended in a no contest. But um, 
still, I mean, these two teams have really been doing well by, you know, uh, respectively, and the club has kind of rehabbed their image in this feud with John Cena, and I'm glad they're not losing every single week to the Usos like they were when they first came up, when they first came to the company. But this is a huge opportunity for Enzo and Cass to really break out as a top-tier tag team in the division, as they deserve to be. And I've said this time and time again. We'll probably get, you know, Enzo and Cass versus the club at SummerSlam, maybe. But I'm still holding out hope that it's going to be the club versus, or rather, um, Enzo and Cass versus the New Day for the tag team titles. And I think there's really no better place to do that match than in Brooklyn, the same place where the New Day won those same titles a little over a year ago, exactly a year ago at that same pay-per-view. The same city, same everything, and that's exactly where um, you know Enzo and Cass kind of cut their teeth in the New York area. That's where they're from. SummerSlam or you know Brooklyn, the Barclays Center would come unglued for Enzo and Cass. They did when they came out in NXT right before TakeOver Brooklyn last year, and um, I feel like them winning a tag team title match in Brooklyn, it just writes itself. So anyway, this is a big feud for them. I'm glad they're not feuding with uh, the Social Outcast long-term. That was only a one-off match, and we're getting Enzo and Cass and Cena versus the club at Battleground, which was made official last night. So we got Cena and the club, or Cena and Enzo and Cass versus the club, and I love it. It saves Cena and Styles Part 2 for SummerSlam. I've heard rumors they might do Cena and Styles Part 2 at the WWE Draft, um, which I wouldn't hate. I would just wait for Part 2 until SummerSlam. But if they did want to do Part 2 at on the SmackDown, the big SmackDown, really load up that show, do Part 2 on that show, maybe have Cena win and then set up the rubber match for SummerSlam, I am all for it. You know, just alone, I'm excited they're continuing the feud and not forgetting about it. They very easily could have moved past this feud and, you know, post-Battleground and done the second match of Battleground and move forward. But instead, we're getting a big marquee six-man tag team match. Probably the most excited I've been for a six-man tag team match in a while. Probably since, I don't know, Shield and Wyatt family two and a half years ago. Um, it's a big match for SummerSlam, or for Battleground, rather, and then you could save the big marquee money match for SummerSlam, so I really like this a lot, and it does wonders for Enzo and Cass. These guys are, like I've said time and time again, in my opinion, in addition to the New Day, the most overact on the roster right now, and they could really do a lot with each other as, you know, really in teaming up with John Cena, it's a big opportunity to solidify these guys as stars before hopefully moving into the WWE Tag Team title picture. After that, we had Becky Lynch versus Summer Rae in the match that we did not get last week. It finally came to fruition this week. In an all-right match, Becky Lynch went clean. Um, I don't really think it needed to go on as long. Not as long as it did. It was a good match, and I'm glad they got time. But I think the only thing about the match was that it took place, you know, in the, the third hour of the show. People were just ready for the show to be over at that point. So I think that kind of worked against them, but still a good match. And it was also made official. We'll get Becky Lynch. Becky Lynch versus Natalia at Battleground. Again, another two thumbs up, another great addition to the Battleground card. Just because it's not all that often we get two women's matches on a pay-per-view. And we're getting just that at the next show. And it's not on the kickoff show. And they could very well move it to the kickoff show. And I really hope they don't. Because these two could have a really great wrestling match um, at Battleground. And they've had a really good feud ever since Money in the Bank. Both characters have been developed very nicely. So it's a very strong addition to the upcoming card come Battleground. These two, you know, these two women could have a great match if given the right amount of time. The feud's there. The story's there. Just give them the time to have that good match. And these guys, or these girls rather, could really steal the show come Battleground. So after that, we had the Wyatt family inviting the New Day to the Wyatt family compound, which we have not seen since the Wyatt family debuted three years ago, almost exactly three years ago. It might be three years ago this upcoming week, or this week exactly, maybe on Friday or Thursday, whatever. But we are quickly approaching the three-year anniversary of the Wyatt family debut, and that was the only time I can recall they ever showed the Wyatt family compound. Even in NXT, they might have shown it. I don't think so, though. But those vignettes, that whole night dedicated to finding the Wyatt family, was great. That If you recall that debut, they have all the videos. Someone put all the videos together on YouTube. You could find it of uh, the cameraman, the WWE cameraman, going to the Wyatt Family compound and following the Wyatt Family and going through the house. And it was super creepy and it was super well done. And I'm glad they're going back to that. It's been a while. I saw some reports today that the reason they're doing this is to capitalize off the momentum, the buzz of uh, the whole Matt Hardy versus Jeff Hardy match in Impact this week, which should tonight actually in Impact Wrestling the final deletion match, as Matt Hardy would say. So that should be interesting, I guess, with the whole fireworks and all this other shit going on. It's going to be a massive train wreck, but you know what? Good for TNA. I don't know if it's going to be a good match or an entertaining match. It should be based off of what I've seen. And it's so silly. It's so over the top. But that's what people have... It's it's gotten people talking about TNA for the first time in years. So good for them. But anyway, um, I look forward to this. Wyatt Family New Day at the Wyatt Family Compound. They tease some tension with Xavier Woods and Biggie and Kofi. 
specifically, you know, Xavier Woods showing a more serious side, more serious than we've seen from him in a while. And then kind of walking off on the new day before, you know, dropping the mic and before walking off on the new day. So hopefully this is not leading to a breakup. Hopefully it's just a red herring or a tease or whatever. And it does not lead to these three breaking up. They're still at the top of their game. And it's not like the shield where they've done everything there is to do. I know they've been tag team champions for almost a year at this point, but there's just no reason to split these guys up right now. They're selling merch. They're the hottest thing going in WWE right now. And even beyond breaking them up, there's still a lot more you can do with these guys um, you know, beyond breaking them up. There's still a lot more they could do as a tandem. So here's hoping that's not the plan. And I know the draft is coming up. They might want to, you know, break off Xavier Woods on his own, which I could very well see them doing, especially after the great showing he had against AJ Styles on SmackDown a few weeks ago, about a month or so ago on my birthday, actually. They had an awesome freaking match on SmackDown, and they might have seen that and go, wow, and might have said to themselves, well, you know, Xavier Woods can be a real player on his own. It's not often we see him in a one-on-one match, so... Um, it would not surprise me if they saw that match and thought to themselves that this guy could be a real player on his own post-draft, post-brand extension. So um, here's hoping that's not the case right now. All three of these guys will be better off you know, together than they are on their own right now anyway. So here's hoping that's not the plan. And then the main event, Team USA, which consisted of Big Show, Mark Henry Kane, Zack Ryder, Paula Cruz, and Jack Swagger, and the Dudley Boys taking on Team World. How creative. In a 16-man elimination tag team match. And Team World consisted of Chris Jericho, Kevin Owens, Alberto Rio, Seamus, Sami Zayn, Cesaro, and the Lucha Dragons. So, a really, really campy main event for a campy holiday show, which, again, did not surprise me in the slightest. But I enjoyed this for what it was. It was a massive fucking train wreck. There were botches here and there. Kevin Owens hitting Sami Zayn with a chair made no sense. And then getting DQ'd. I mean, not hitting him with a chair. That made sense. But then him getting DQ'd made no sense. Because he's hitting his own partner. So how does that get, how does that get KO disqualified? You know what I mean? That just made no sense to me. I could see them disqualifying Kane because he was in the ring with Sami Zayn. But it shouldn't have DQ'd Kevin Owens. And then Kane takes the chair and attacks Kevin Owens. And then Kane gets disqualified. So again, I feel like that was botched. It had to be botched. Because even the commentators were questioning like, what the fuck is going on right now? So... It was a massive cluster, but even still, it was fun while it lasted. Other than those two botches, it was still a really good match. Um, you know, rapid-fire eliminations, you really couldn't invest in many of the eliminations because they were happening so quickly, but it was nice furthering of the feuds between Cesaro and Del Rio and also, like I said, Zane and Owens. And then in the end, it came down to Sheamus versus Big Show and Zack Ryder, and thank the Lord they gave Zack Ryder the spotlight by pinning Sheamus to score the victory and win for his team. So a big win for Zack Ryder in what has been easily the greatest year of his career to date and winning the IC Championship at WrestleMania, winning the main event of Raw, getting a new t-shirt, dating Emma as the the cherry on top of it all. So uh, I, I enjoyed it for what it was. Again, not a great main event. It was actually quite bad. But for what it was, I liked it. Just uh, you know, a guilty pleasure of mine. But still, that closed out the 4th of July edition of Raw last night. And what I thought, like I said, a pretty, you know, a straightforward holiday show. I was not really expecting much from the holiday show. They taped the last 4th of July episode of Raw five years ago. That was pre-taped. This show was live. Um, there was a lot of comp- a lot of you know campy comedy, a lot of you know throwaway garbage, but by and large, I didn't hate a lot of the stuff that happened on the show. I loved the cookout, the the uh, the cookout food fight, the barbecue food fight that we got at the start of the show. I thought that was great. Like I said before, um, Ambrose and Miz had a good match. Rollins and Ziggler had a good match. The main event was total throwaway, but I liked parts of it. We have two new matches confirmed for Battleground and Becky Lynch versus Natalia and John Cena and Zone Cass versus The Club. So Battleground shaping up to be a strong show on the 24th. Should be an amazing pay-per-view. And then before that, like I said at the start of the show, we got Nakamura and Balor. Not yet is next week. Next Wednesday, we have Nakamura and Balor on NXT. We've got the Cruiserweight Classic Show kicking off next Wednesday. We have a preview episode of that, like this Thursday, or rather this Wednesday, right after NXT, so I look forward to checking that out. The Bracketology, I think it's called. Uh, You know, revealing the matches that will take place in the Cruiserweight Classic starting next Wednesday. We have Battleground, the draft in two weeks. We have SmackDown moving live to Tuesdays. And as I said at the start of the show, UFC 200 this Saturday. Cannot wait for that. Brock Lesnar versus Mark Hunt. Should be interesting to say the least. So a lot of exciting stuff going on right now, folks, in the world of wrestling and beyond. As SummerSlam quickly approaches, that whole weekend is going to be stacked with TakeOver, Raw, SummerSlam, everything else should be great. But uh, another WrestleRant Radio in the books. As always, guys, I appreciate your support. But continue to spread the word of the show on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Pinterest, Instagram, everything. Anything you can think of, spread the word. All support is amazingly appreciated. And 
And as always, you guys can find me on the socials, on Twitter, at WrestleRant, on Facebook at Facebook.com, backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews, and also on YouTube at YouTube.com, backslash C, backslash Matthews, and also right here on NextDayWrestling.net. Full reviews of Raw, SmackDown, Impact Wrestling, Ring of Honor, NXT, Lucha Underground, Main Event Superstars, and everything else in between go up every single day. New content goes up on the website every single day. So be sure to check it out and listen to new episodes of WrestleRant Radio, the final Tuesday episode next week before we move to Thursdays on the 21st. So with all that being said, folks, thanks once again for listening. I'm Graham Gieson Matthews. Have an awesome week, and I'll catch you folks down the road.